So let's pray. We'll be in chapter 15 again. We'll be looking at points 4 and 5. Um, let's, uh, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for this day. We thank you, dear God, for your grace, for your mercy, O oh Lord, for your provision in our lives, dear God. Just the means to get here, uh, the building itself, uh, the clothes that we're wearing, dear God, all of these are provision provided by your hand, dear God, for your, by your mercy, your grace, that we don't deserve any of what we have, dear God, but yet you shower us abundantly with your mercy, with your grace, O oh Lord. And for that, we thank you. We praise you, O oh Lord. We thank you, dear God, for... Um, just the fellowship that we have uh, being in this room, being in this house, in this building, dear God, with brothers and sisters of like-mindedness, like-heartedness, O oh Lord. Um, and we are able to be encouraged, that we were able to be held accountable by uh, such brothers and sisters, dear God, as a blessing and, and yet another demonstration of your grace in our lives. So, Father, we pray, dear Lord, that as we endeavor to look at your word uh, this morning, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, O oh God, that you would uh, prepare us, O oh Lord, that by your Spirit, O oh Lord, we would uh, hear and understand the words that are being spoken, and that you would illumine us, O oh God, according to, uh, according to your will, O oh Lord, uh, that we might be uh, edified, that we would be uh, built up, that we would, uh, that we would take the knowledge that we, um, that we acquire here in this church through the sermons, the teachings, the preachings, dear God, and that they would be transformed into wisdom, dear God, the application of that knowledge in our lives, O oh Lord. And so, Father, we pray, dear God, first and foremost, that of utmost importance, that you would be magnified and glorified by everything we say and do in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So, I... I um, to begin, I think I was commenting earlier, Shannon heard me, I was tempted to show a, a sermon from Charles Spurgeon. I just found it, like, last night. Uh, didn't even really searching for it. Wasn't even studying in, uh, but I just came up with this sermon, and it, 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 it's exactly this chapter. It's exactly this chapter. So it might be something in consideration for next week if we get done with everything here. Uh, but there's more than enough material to continue for as long as we need. Right? So, chapter 15 uh, of repentance to life and salvation. Um, pop quizzes. Can anyone, and you have your points in front of you, right? Your paragraphs 1 to 5 in front of you. What have we been talking about for these few weeks? There's nothing, for those that teach, right? The biggest. Fear, the biggest concern when you're teaching is that you're sharing and you're saying a bunch of words and you see the, the hands on the clock passing by and you're wondering, are we learning anything? Right? And so the best method for a teacher to get that, uh, those hard feelings confirmed <laughs> or disproven is to do little questioning, right? Uh, a little bit of questioning. That's why that catechism, we've talked about the word catechism, etc. Where you ask a question, you know, there's like some connotations, those that maybe came from Catholic background, well, catechism, whatever, but catechism just means question and answer. That's all it means, right? So, we've been talking about repentance, and what I want to do is just read the point and have someone, not the same person, sum up each one of these points in just normal everyday language, it could be a sentence. But I just want to get us there. So, point number one. 
Sean, our birthday boy, by the way, it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Sean. I'm going to have you read point one, and, uh, and then we'll give an opportunity for someone, if not you, to, to, to sum it up in a word. Some of the elect are converted after their early years, having lived in the natural state for a time and served various evil desires and pleasures. God gives these repentance to life as part of their effectual calling. Okay. Does anybody, I mean, if you want to, it's up to you, it's fine too as well. But I want to sum up what we talked about that point. Some of the elect are converted in their early years, implying that some are converted in... Let, well, I don't want to. I don't want to give it with you. Sorry, I'm giving. I'm giving. Yeah, what you said. <laughs> well, you did use the example of Pastor Lynn, uh, where you said there are several people that um, usually are elect after their, we'll say, their their younger years after the, you know after um, like growing up in the church and other things. As we'll just say adults. Mm-hmm. If they're adults, I was going to say older years. <laughs> Riper um, years. Riper. As some become, you know, obviously adults, uh, they, they become at that point, God opens up their hearts and they become converted at that point. And, uh, you know, and they have a lifetime of, of serving the flesh, whether they realize it or not. Uh-huh. And uh, God gives them this repentance to life at, uh, at that point in time when he opens up their hearts. Right. So, and the main point of this is just to clarify, right, that Repentance, we, we talk about, because we're talking about the elect here. So elect, we, we, we've spoken about this at great length. I know Mike has, speaks about it a lot. But the sovereignty of God and His will of decree, where He decrees what is going to be. Right? There's the will of command and the will of decree. Will of command is, God commands us not to sin. But yet we violate that, that, that will of God and that we do sin. Right? And, and he gives the remedy for that in Jesus Christ. His will of decree is this is what is going to be and that will come to happen. And so salvation, election, is part of that will of decree of God. And he determines, we read continuously over and over, that he determined before the foundation of the world uh, who would be saved. And so what this, just like Sean said, is that if we are elected for salvation... Prior to the foundation of the world, the question might arise, well, why do some people that are saved, why is not everyone saved as, you know, as a baby as soon as they speak? And this tells us here that, that repentance, repenting from sin, we unpacked that whole tree and the, the roots of, of repentance, etc. But the point that this is trying to make is that even though there are those that there, there are elect for salvation... The timing, the day and time of when that salvation comes to be, in terms of when they are born again, is also by sovereign decree of God. And so therefore, for Len, the Lord appointed Len unto salvation before the end of the, before the, end of the world. True, thank you. Listen, I hope that's true for all of us, right? Uh, before the foundation of the world, but he appointed also the day and time that Len would be born again, when the Holy Spirit would, would breathe spiritual life into him, and that he would be awakened, quickened, to respond to the gospel call. He had undoubtedly heard the gospel prior to being saved, but he did not respond. Why? Because it's not something that is, uh, that is um, intellectually 
arrived at. It is supernatural. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that wakens us to the call of the gospel. Right? So the repentance, some of the elect are converted after their early years. It is part of their, I'm, I'm summarizing that, it is part of their effectual calling. Effectual calling is what we call irresistible grace. That when God has elected someone into salvation, there is a calling there's that gospel call they will not reject. That date and time that God appointed for Len to be, to be reborn, there is no way Len would have rejected that call. It is a sovereign decree of God. Therefore, it is irresistible grace. When you hear that gospel call, you run to it, you cling to it. Why? Because God has appointed it that day. The same way you were appointed the day you were born physically, there is a day that you were appointed to be born spiritually. Did All right. you also speak about the, I think whether it was in this point or maybe another point, I think it was this point because mm-hmm. it says right there, the differences in repentance, that there is a, a repentance where people do repent, but it's not necessarily the same where they may, you know, it's not one that is a repentance of life, it's just of their actions. Yeah, uh, we're going to get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about that too, but... Um, Oh, man, I wish I could play that sermon, man. It, it just, it, I listened to it last night and in the shower this morning, too. I was like, should I play this today? Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Just want to, I want to stay within the realm of the, of the point here, right? So uh, some, even though you're elect from before the foundation of the world, your salvation, that effectual calling, we'll call that, uh, is that repentance comes as part of your salvation, all right? Very important to understand that it is not a condition of your salvation. You don't first repent of your sin, then turn to Christ. You are born again. You, ter- you, you repent of your sin as part of that one saving grace, as one of that saving work. We don't have people that forsake their sin first and therefore come clean to Christ. That's not the case. Right? It's all part of that effectual calling. And that natural state is... is is opposite of the supernatural state, where you have the, whole, the Holy Spirit indwelling you. All right, so we've got point one. Point two, I'll read it and someone take a crack at it. There is no one who does good and not sin. Even the best may fall into great sin and offenses through the power and deceitfulness and corruption in them, along with the strength of temptation. Therefore, God is mercifully provided in the covenant of grace, in his salvation plan, we'll say. Right? That believers who sin and fall will be renewed through repentance to salvation. Right? That's a long one, but it can be summed up pretty succinctly and, and, and briefly. Anybody want to give that one a try? I think of Peter when even he had sinned. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of our examples, I think. Right? Yeah. Jesus told him get behind me, Satan. Yep. There is there is there is a uh, in contrast to point one, where some come to repentance and salvation at later years. Right. That's not to say that those that that there are people that are not in need of repentance. And we gave the example of those that are raised in the church. Right. Think of the Sabato kids. Think of my kids, uh, Wessel kids. Right, a lot of, a lot of, a lot, and others that I might not know of. These kids have never known a time where there was not, you know, their parents were not bringing them to church, that they were not exposed to the gospel, etc. Point two is saying is 
There is no one who does good. So at point one is some might come to repentance later on after they've lived a while in sin. But that doesn't mean that there's anyone that doesn't live a while in sin. That even in your younger years, there's no one who does good. Christ said it himself in the scriptures. Why do you call me good? There is none who is good except our God. Um, John talked about uh, Peter, that he, you know, he, he, he denied Christ. We talked about David, all the best, all of these people that we would consider the greats. Right, David is you know, my favorite in, in the scriptures, etc. They were all sinners, adulterers, murderers, Peter denied Christ, etc. Therefore, everyone, even those closest to Christ, there is none who does good and doesn't sin. There is no perfect Christian. And so, God in his provision of salvation, right, in, in his salvation plan, not only gave that moment of spiritual birth, right, and, and salvation and turning to Christ, that, that one-time thing. He gave, he's, he provided within that a form of grace that we would constantly be repentant of our sins. We'd be renewed. We talked about harmony, right? We're saved, we sin. There's, we, we don't sin our way out of salvation, but there's a harmony that is torn between us, much like I said, a harmony between a husband and wife when there's, when there's an argument, but that harmony is restored when there's forgiveness and, 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 and a res- restoration, right? Uh, during an argument. So that is, we don't, we don't end the marriage with Christ. We have to confess our sin and we are restored in relationship with Christ, not restored to a salvation. We've never lost our salvation. If we could, we would all have lost it by now. Okay. All right. Point three. This saving repentance is a gospel grace. We kind of already covered this in, in what we just said. In which those who are made aware of the Holy Spirit by the many evils of their sin by faith in Christ, humble themselves with it with godly sorrow, hatred of it, and this is the trigger word that you're going to remember, self-loathing. They pray for pardon and strength and grace and determine the endeavor by provisions from the Spirit to live before God in a well and pleasing way in everything. Somebody want to try that one? Our teachers... Well, it's like this is kind of like part of what you have already said. Yeah, the first you know, part is. The Holy Spirit awakens us to you know, our deadness and our sins, the many evils that we uh, live in. And it is by faith that we come before Christ, uh, acknowledging those evil ways, and that they're not righteous in, in any form, uh, but they're, they're self-satisfying to the flesh, and that we would... You know, repent of those, and even even as believers, mm-hmm. you know that when you know when we do sin, I might brought up the point that, like you said, that we love that, that we understand what our salvation caused, yeah. and that when I do sin, no matter we tend to have like a, like a scale, like a, is it one sin, a low sin, or <laughs> ten sin? But to God, it doesn't matter where it falls on that scale. Sin, sin is sin, but that we understand that. We take for granted uh, the price that was paid for God to to, to save you. Yeah. And then, again, it's only by His Spirit, by submission to His Spirit, that we can do anything that's pleasing to God, that's righteous. Right, right. Well, this is part of our sanctification as well, too, right? As we, as we sanctification, 
comes from the word sanctify, which comes from the same roots as you know the word holy, basically. And holy means what? Set apart. Set apart. Or separate as well, too, right? And, and sanctification, or it's almost, you can, uh, I like to make up words that don't exist that help understand what a word means. <laughs> it's almost the, the process of being set apart, right? So it's the holification of someone, right? The holification of someone. That's what sanctification means. It's the process by which you are dying to sin. You're being set apart from that old nature, set apart from the world, set apart from all these things, and you're becoming holier because as you die to sin, it's a turning towards God. It's kind of a picture of repentance as well too, but repentance is is a part of that. And what this is saying here, as Len said, I don't need to expand on anything he said, but just, just to move to the next point, it's that when the Holy Spirit, right, it's not, it's when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, it's not just that one time when we're being saved. A lot of people think the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. We, we, we've heard the gospel presentation so many times that sometimes we take it as a formula. Right? The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, whatever, and we're thinking that one time. Oh, now I'm saved. But it is a continual conviction of sin that the Holy Spirit does. It's part of our sanctification. That ongoing process to which we will never achieve full holiness on this side of eternity um, until we are with Christ. But there is a hatred, a loathing of that sinful self, of that sinful nature, a turning from that, a wanting never to return to it. Speaks a little bit to what Sean was saying, the kind of repentance that we have. Uh, there are those that repent of things and it's more a natural sort of, they've been convinced their conscience, it's, it's more of an awareness of guilt than it is a repentance. That guilty conscience that you carry that burden and it's an acknowledgement of guilt and a wrongdoing but not the desire to turn from it. Right? It's a desire to be freed from the guilty conscience but it's not a repentance to seek to go towards God. That's that earthly sorrow that we're talking about. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but this talks about the Holy Spirit. And it's, look, it says, They pray for pardon and strength of grace and determine by endeavor, by provision from the Spirit. I would have probably scratched that whole sentence out if it did not have that part. By provision from the Spirit to live before God. I think that's the difference between Judas and Peter. When they that's part of today. They had remorse. Uh, they both were remorseful, but Peter led to repentance where Judas did not. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was, was going to talk about that today, that same example. So Sue read my notes too. Right? John read my notes that other week, and Sue read the notes this year. Um, and, but great point to go to our... Point four here, which is where we're going to focus on. Repentance must continue throughout our lives because of the body of death. What is the body of death? Let me do one at a time, Jake. Our earthly bodies. Our earthly bodies, DJ. The flesh. I said the same thing. Same thing. Mike said something, or I don't know if it was Mike or Dave. Somebody said something in the middle. Body of death. Uh oh. The body of death is our fleshly, it's that old nature, right? It is this body. This body, as long as we're in this body, the flesh will have, we have that, that sort of 
uh, dissertation from Paul in Romans, I think it's chapter 6, where he talks about the things I want to do versus the things I don't want to do, but yet I do, and the things I don't want to do, and I do, etc. I think I mixed that up, but it's, that's, that's how complicated it is. Uh, we have to, this point four says, repentance must continue throughout our lives because of the body of death and its activities. Um, we sin continually. We do. How, how amazing it would be to say, you know, uh, from the day I came to Christ, I no longer sinned. But that is, that is not the case. We sin on a daily basis. There are those sins. It, it's, it's good to read when you, when you think you're doing well and you read the words of Christ. I tell you, anyone who's I use this at home a lot uh, with, with with the kid. I always, your examples are always how you do something well, right? It's it's like I use this at home a lot with my kids, but it, it comes right back at me. Where the the you have heard it said uh, statements of Christ, right? That thou shalt not murder, which is you know wow. If we stopped right there, like. We're all kind of, I hope, I think. I think we're all kind of good here. I haven't murdered anyone. But what has Christ said? If you have called your brother stupid, basically, is what he's saying, then you're worthy of the fires of hell. And I say, wait a second. Yeah, and a lot of times we go, oh, well, he didn't really mean, like, I can't call my brother stupid. Or, like, you know, Christ said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Right? If anybody did, it was Jesus Christ. And so we think of, man, you know, if, if I think of my brother or my sister, that they're stupid, or, or, or just think in that direction, it's like, I'm worthy of the fires of hell, according to I take Christ at his word. And so, we, there is repentance, and, and, and maybe you haven't said it, but you've thought it. Right? I know me, I, there's a lot of sins I commit in my mind. Or you have the thoughts. Don't we struggle with our thoughts? Don't we tr- struggle with like, our, our, our opinions of people? Uh, take, and, and I like to have real conversations in a class like this. I, I want to bring it home to us because a lot of the examples we use, we think of that neighbor, we think of whoever it is, but for us, I'll give you an example. Can we not sit in a Sunday school class and someone gives an excellent point and in your mind you're tearing down that point and you're, you're, you're almost like, like a jealousy that this person said this, like, oh, well, I'm going to think of a better point to say, etc., etc. These are things we need to hear in the house of God because we are in relation with one another. You are, we are brothers and sisters. Right? We have to continually repent because we are continually sinners, is what it says here. Somebody look up Luke 19.8 and another 1 Timothy 13, 14, and 15. 13 to 15. Oh, 1 Timothy, I'm sorry. Go ahead, read Luke. Uh, thir- uh, 1, 13 to 15. Go ahead with Luke. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. All right. So we're talking about continual repentance. right? And we're reading here the statements uh, in Luke where Zacchaeus says, Hey, uh, 
he gives the Lord half of his goods, and I give to the poor, uh, half of the goods he gives to the poor, because he says he had sinned, right? And he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That last statement there is our piece that links us to a continual thing. Why? Well, he's saying, if I have defrauded anyone. What, is it, what does that imply? We know he defrauded people. But if I have defrauded people is talking about a state in Zacchaeus' mind where he is doing a constant what? Analysis, a recollection of sin. So that statement would require, how does that play out in real, in real time? It requires him thinking about the people that he has crossed. right? Making that list. Saying, who have I defrauded continually? Is he going to remember everyone on the first shot? Probably not. But he says, I will restore it fourfold. So Zacchaeus has to go through a process where he is reminded and remembered of those that he crossed and, he, and the restoration that he is going to um, give these people. So it's an ongoing process. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. It's a continual thing. He was not going to fix it there in one shot. All of it speaks to just a continual repentance, a continual conviction of sin and and an action towards restoration. Repentance is a true sense of sin and a turning towards God. Repentance from sin, turning towards God. 1 Timothy 13, uh, 1 13, sorry. Keep saying 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. All right. So we have Paul in his letters to Timothy saying that though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, I received mercy because I had acted ignorant and in unbelief. So it's that second part to chapter 4. So we talked about continual repentance because of the body of death, our sinful activity. We continue to sin every day. Is there a day, is there, you know, are we so bold to say, is there anyone here remember a day this week they didn't sin? Like, I know I sinned every single day multiple times. At least in my thoughts, in my responses, in my lack of patience. You know, <laughs> Becky corrects me and I lash out. Um, uh, she lashes out too when I correct her. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a victim at home. We're, we're, um, but we, we a continual repentance, right? But that second point to four says, it is everyone's duty to repent of each specific known sin specifically. This one hit uh, last week for me as, I, as we were talking about this. It hit for me. And that goes to the First Timothy verse here. Paul acknowledges what? He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. And he goes on and lists all of his offenses. And so, when we repent of our sin, why? Because we saw in in point three that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and that we, um, but yet we continually sin. So the Holy Spirit is continually convicting us. All of this is one big connected 
thing, right? And, and, and it all stems from, you can put it under the umbrella of salvation, right? Where repentance is not salvation, but it is a fruit, let's say, of salvation. And so that continual repentance because of our sin, but also confessing our sins specifically to God. Let's say this. Let, let me use my wife as an example, my, my marriage as an example. If, uh, if I know I did wrong, if I, if, I, if I maybe spoke to her in a tone that was disrespectful or a lie of some kind, and I come home and I just give her a general apology, yeah, just generally sorry. I never addressed the thing that I did between us. Do you think that that would be something that would be helpful towards the restoration of that relationship? Yet, if I come home and I sit with my wife and I say, you know, Becky, uh, earlier when we spoke, I spoke to you in a tone that, that was disrespectful of you. And I acknowledge that I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. God has given you to me. We are, we're a couple, etc. And I, I, I apologize for speaking to you in that tone, for lying about X, Y, and Z, etc. That's something that's, that, that talks to the heart of the issue. It leads towards healing. It leads towards restoration is the word that I'm trying to, to say. Because we, we don't want to repent of our sin continually just to be free of our guilty conscience. We want restoration. We want relationship with Christ Jesus. Right? And that's what we're getting at here with this point four. So confessing our sin to Christ specifically. Now here's the difference between this example that I just gave you. Rebecca can't see what's going on in my heart. Christ can. He knows the offenses that are there, both the ones that we commit and the ones that we think about, the ones that we hold in our heart, the ones that we hold grudges about. And therefore, if we want to lay open, a lot of times, you know, there's a prayer, and I say this prayer a lot of times too, Lord, you, you see my heart, you see all my sin. Please, please forgive me. But if in that moment where we are alone in our prayer closet, as people like to say, etc., Lord, forgive me for wishing ill of my brother, or the jealousy that I felt in the moment, for, for wishing him harm, for wanting to be to wanting to get more recognition than my brother, etc. Like, we confess those sins. It, 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 it speaks to restoration where you lay before Jesus Christ each known sin specifically. There are sins that we commit maybe in ignorance, as, as Paul said, where we can commit a sin that we might be convicted of later on that we didn't realize, but most of our sin we know about. And so, coming to Christ and confessing those sin, that example from 1 Timothy was just Paul expressing to Timothy some of those recognized sins that he committed. Now, they probably would have known these sins already because Paul had a, a, a his reputation went before him and they knew, oh, the guy that persecuted Christians is now preaching the gospel, etc. But in our lives as Christians, we need to continue to confess our sins to Jesus Christ. So, a part of repentance is that Admitting that true sense of sin. It's not just turning away from that sin, but it is bringing it to the one that we have offended and confessing that sin. 
Right, I thought I saw a hand here. Yeah. Okay, right, right. Hey, this is the evidence that you really truly do get it. So, exactly. Right, we have a new master, you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, Becky can't see. Mm-hmm. God does. He's our master. Right. So, you know, are, are we loyal to the master or not? I think that when Jesus was rebuking, that's actually the unbelieving Jews of the Pharisees. He says, You believe in one God, you do well. Even if the demons believe in Trump. He's being sarcastic. He's, right. He's not, he's saying, You believe in one God, big whoop. Common sense. Yeah. Everyone knows there's a God. Yeah. It's embedded into you. You know what I'm saying? Like, to just say we're sinners, there's no pat on the back of this, this moral, wonderful thing that you did to just admit that. You have to call them out. So part of, it, it's, it's agreeing, it's hating and forsaking your sin that you agree with God. Like, that's why I love the Zacchaeus books. Yeah. You know, you see something that he's calling out his own sin. sin yes. It's an offense to his God who he loves more than anything. Right. And yeah, sometimes it doesn't happen right away. When, like David, when he sinned, you know, he knew he sinned against right. Bathsheba. Right. But and sometimes we can get a little, our conscience gets seared, and sometimes we need a little nudge, like Nathan. Mm-hmm. But when it clicked, you know what I'm saying, he, you see the brokenness of it. And I think that's. That's the Christian life because that's right. how the relationship is supposed to start. Right. right. Do this as a, a parent, you know, just you teach our, tell the teacher our kids this. Like, you have to point it out. You right. Know, like, I, I think in particular, you know, we, uh, oftentimes when we're taking people to the Lord's observe the Lord's table, we, we, we do that. There's no. Maybe there's a place at times to sit there and acknowledge that you're a sinner, mm-hmm. but you got to take it a little bit further. Know exactly what it is that you said. Right. You know, so you know exactly what it is that you repent of, so that you can. And exactly what not to do again. Yeah. Like <laughs> yes. if, if someone stole, stole something from someone, you know, they, they shouldn't repent of the sin of that. There was another sin that they didn't commit. Right. You, have to, right. you should repent of what you actually did. Mm-hmm. It was against them. You know, that's what you're. In order for your relationship to be right, that has to be addressed. Right. And that, and that really. That speaks to the point, and, and, and I'm concerned with, with, with this topic of repentance, is that we don't just learn about it, right? Because it affect, it, it's part of our sanctification process, right? It's, it's, it's a fruit. So what, what Mike spoke about, about that, that sin and, 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 and looking at that sin, repentance has a fruit. Remember the tree? Right? That Part of the fruit of repentance is that confessing of the sin is that endeavor towards obedience. The whole purpose of repentance is that it leads from that turning away from sin, that loathing over the sin, etc. But it leads to Christ and good works, which is our next chapter, I believe, right? Good works is our next chapter. It's chapter 16. Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, That leads to good works. If you've been paying attention to all these chapters, it might be helpful for you to go back to that table of contents page in the website you see how they flow into one another. Don't, don't, don't make the mistake of reading it so linear, linearly, right? That this needs to happen first. That's, that's not what we're saying. We have to talk about it topic by topic. That's why it's listed there. But it's all part of that saving grace of Christ. All right, so point four is repentance must continue throughout our lives because of the body of death and its activities. Because we are sinners. We continue. We are redeemed Sinners, right? We're not just saved. 
We are redeemed, but we're, we don't stop there. We are redeemed sinners. We are sinners like the rest of the world is sinner, but the difference between us is that we have been redeemed by Christ. Our sin is covered in the blood of Christ. All right? So continue throughout our lives because of this body of death and its activities, which is sin. So it's everyone's duty to repent of each specific known sin specifically. It is valuable to our walk with Christ that we confess, that we repent of these sins directly. And I would, I would, I would add that like, it doesn't say that we repent of each specific known sin specifically. Or I'm kind of sort of interpreting the word ask for forgiveness for each sin specifically as well too, which could go hand in hand with that repentance. Right? Um, I just went blank. Oh, but the everyone's duty to repent of each specific known sin specifically. So it's not just a recognition of those sins. It's repenting and asking for forgiveness of it. But that everyone's duty gives you a sense of what? We've been talking about how repentance is a grace, a given grace, uh, just like salvation, repentance, that that. That repentance component is also given by grace, and we know that it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we said it's part of the sanctification process. So we turned into a language of continually, continuity here. Repentance must continue. And so therefore, sanctification is something that continues as well. And so uh, that confession of that sin, that, 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 that not wanting to commit those. Mike said there's a place and a time to address each sin, to, to go back and analyze just like Zacchaeus did, where he committed those faults. But the purpose of that for the good deeds is that you would repent of those sins knowingly and specifically so that you don't commit those specific sins again. Alright? Uh, it's not just accumulating sin that you're going to repent and confess specifically because think about that. If, if you're supposed to loathe that sin, loathe that way, you commit the sin and you say, you know what, yeah, but I'm confessing it every day. And I'm, I'm repenting of it. What does a repentance mean? A turning away from it. Not continually being in it. And then, the, what you're really doing by committing the same sin over and over and over and over and over, never, never having that victory, never, never leaving it behind and you're confessing it, it's really just a conviction of that guilt, that conscience. And so we can, we can mistake, and this is what Sean was talking about, we're going to unpack that next week, um, when we look at the Spurgeon sermon, where you are just freeing your conscience of a guilt, but you're not turning away from that sin. All right, we'll unpack that later, I kind of went off into a tangent here with that, but I just wanted to mention that. So, point five. God has made full provision through Christ in the covenant of grace to preserve believers in their salvation. I like just a few words. I like the whole thing, but I'm saying just a couple words here. Almost say it all. God has made full provision through Christ. That statement in and of itself is completely accurate. It's completely accurate true. Ephesians tells us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. To say that every spiritual blessing implies that how many blessings were left out? None. 
Every spiritual blessing we have is in Christ. God has made full provision through Christ. We could have stopped that sentence there. But in the covenant of grace, or in God's salvation plan, and in the plan that the Trinity agreed upon, that, that saving plan, the covenant of grace, God made full provision in Christ, in His salvation plan, to preserve believers in their salvation. So let's unpack that statement in and of itself. What that statement is saying is that God, in, in Christ, in His salvation plan, determined to preserve believers in their salvation. What is that saying in normal English? Preserve believers in their salvation. That's like a question. Like, can't lose it. Can't lose it. Right. Why? Because God is preserving. Right? I like that preservation of the saints. Right? We have perseverance of the saints in, in the Calvinistic, you know, in the five points. I like preservation of the saints because it, it, it hints back more towards that it is a work of God versus us persevering. Like, it's not inaccurate to say perse- uh, uh, perseverance of the saints because we're persevering because God is preserving, I would say, to put that together. But in Christ Jesus, in God's salvation plan, He preserves believers in their salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. So we talked about repentance. Why? Why is this good news to us? Right? I'll come to you in a second. Why is this good news to us? Because we talk about repentance being continual. We talk about sin being continual in our lives, etc. Uh, but salvation is once and for all. It was predetermined by, by God. And we know that uh, it's, it's steering us away from a perfect Christianity. Right? Where we might think that we're saved and then we're not going to sin. Well, we know we're going to continually sin. We need to continually repent. But we know that we are secure eternally in God's salvation plan through Jesus Christ. Right? That you're not repenting of one sin, though immediately. Mike said sometimes it comes later. Uh, sometimes it comes sooner that you repent of a sin is not a reason that you will lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. Sue. Because it's a progression. Our walk is a progression. And, and as we Forward, have the right? sensitivity to sin, we start, we change. But it's a progression. It's not that I did it today and I won't do it tomorrow. It's something that's going to keep, it's a lifetime right. until we get to heaven. Right. Take. You can also rest assured that the finished work of Christ covers everything. Because if we if for some reason we think that we can lose our salvation, then that means that we don't believe that what Christ did was enough. What salvation is left for you then? Right. Right? If you experience the salvation of Christ Jesus, what sacrifice can you offer upon losing that salvation? Right? Then you're back to the then you're back to the Old Testament ways of the annual sacrifices, and, and, and which is, you know, I'm sure they sinned that very same day after the, after the high priest took and did the, the Day of Atonement. They probably sinned right after that. The high priest himself probably came out and go, what's wrong with all these people? Thought ill of everybody and, and sinned right there, right? Yeah, so we, we got time here. I'm going to move on. Uh, to read the rest of this point just because of time. Oh yeah, it's 10.16. So God made full provision through Christ in the covenant of grace to preserve believers in their salvation. Thus, and this is kind of just a plain English, thus although there is no sin so small that it's undeserving of of damnation, I was going to say, of damnation, 
There is no sin so great that it will bring damnation on those who repent, i.e. those who are saved, that have that saving grace, repentance, bestowed upon them by the Holy Spirit. It's all a work of God. Right? And praise God because we would not do this. Right? It will not bring damnation on those who repent. This makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. Why do we preach repentance? Because we know we're saved. We're not going to lose our salvation. But we do need to repent of sins committed on this side of Calvary's cross. And so therefore the constant calling of salvation is what God, the, uh, not salvation, I'm sorry, repentance. Uh, preaching repentance, as Sue said, it's a process. Right? And we need to be reminded of that process. Good stewards of the word of God don't just preach the gospel message, even though it's all really the gospel message, right? Uh, but it's not just preaching the gospel message uh, unto salvation, because there are we are saved, we're always saved. But we also always need to repent. And so where eternally secure is not a license for you to say, hey, I cannot sin my way out of salvation. We have to repent. It's a relationship, as Mike said earlier, and we established earlier. And so we need the constant preaching of repentance. All right, so I'm going to stop it right there. Next week, we'll close out point five, and we'll share some points of the sermon that I found, which I think you will find amazing. And I love Spurgeon because he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't mince any words. Uh, thank you, dear God, for your work, for your plan of salvation, for your blessing us with every spiritual blessing in, in Christ Jesus, dear God. We can do none of this except sin. But you have granted us repentance. You've granted us salvation all by your grace dear God you've given us your spirit in us O oh Lord that restores us unto you that, that convicts us of our sin that, that empowers us to repent of each known sin specifically and so Father we pray dear God that you would continue the great work in us dear God that now as we have looked at your word and, and, and we see the workings of your spirit in us. We see the working of your salvation plan in us. We see the process of sanctification and we see what uh, the fruit of repentance, oh Lord, that it leads us into obedience and good works. We pray, dear God, that we would, in wisdom, apply this knowledge to our heart. Dear God, wisdom is knowledge applied. <coughs> That we would apply this to our hearts, dear God. That we would seek to please you as Lord of our lives. That we would confess our sins before you, dear God. And that we would turn away from them in repentance. Never to go down those roads again. But we thank you, dear God, that we have mercy and grace at your throne. Mercy and grace at your feet, dear God. That we can, even though we falter and we fail, dear God, we can confess them to you. We can repent from them and be renewed in our harmony and relationship Oh, Lord, uh, through repentance. And for that, we give you thanks and we give you praise and glory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, see you next week.